So as we continue in First Peter this morning, uh, we will be continuing further in the application part of the first chapter. Through verse 12, like I said, it was mainly doctrinal, things they need to know. And beginning in verse 13, Peter was telling them, Therefore, in light of all of these things I've told you, this is what you need to be doing. And of course, the first thing he told them was to prepare their minds for action. They are to prepare in advance. And I want to reiterate this because I think it's so important in this. Uh, we also read in Matthew 7, Jesus telling his listeners that there are basically two types of people, those who hear his word, his sayings, his teachings, and they do them. And there's those that don't. Those that hear his sayings and put them into practice, he says they are like a man who builds his house upon the rock. And when the storms come, the, their, their house stands because it's been built upon the rock. And those who don't listen to his sayings, that don't build their life on his sayings, when the storms come and they have built their house on the sand, the house collapses. So the important thing to remember from this, Peter's talking about do these things in advance. Prepare your minds for action. We don't wait till the storm gets here and start building the house. That's foolishness. We build the house because we know the storms are coming. So we have to be busy planning and building our house, uh, building our lives upon the Word of God. We need to learn it. We need to put it into practice so that when the storms do come, we will stand. We don't wait to build. Okay, now we've got some of your notes. So they are expected to call on their father during this time of persecution. Even uh, to call on them and, and to attend their calling in fear. They have a loving father who protects them, but they also have a father whom they are to reverently fear. Now one of the main things that Paul says in Romans 3 is for pagans there is no fear of God in their lives so we are to call upon our father and we are supposed to fear him a reverent fear and then so to review in our persecutions and these people of the dispersion in their persecutions they are according to verse 3 to keep praising God According to verse 6, to rejoice in their salvation. And in verse 17, to keep calling on God. Even during these times of persecution, they're supposed to be doing that. You don't just fold up and say, woe is me. You have work to do. You have preparations to make. All right, now, that brings us through verse 17. Any Additions to anything that we have said so far in the first 17 verses of First Peter. Okay, if not, 
that's so verse 18 read and uh, I am going to call upon Owen if you will read for us verses 18 and 19 Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Okay, so in your notes there, they have been ransomed or redeemed. That word can be translated either way. They've been redeemed. And we read that it's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Redemption through the precious blood of Christ. Would anybody be willing to venture upon what the um, dedicated liberal, what his opinion would be of this ver- these two verses that we've just had read to us? What would a liberal think about having to be redeemed and having and all this blood and things of that sort? He would say that you wouldn't. <clears throat> nobody else could be responsible for what he did. He that, can't pay for it. That's one thing. What's their opinion of all this blood flowing, all this yeah. blood religion? They don't yeah. like that too much. Pretty low down. Yeah. What about having to appease the wrath of God? There's two things, two ideas in here that they would hate. Uh, Well, a lot of things, but the two main ones, I believe, is the fact that we have a God of wrath. He has wrath against sin. And number two, the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All right, let's start... um, over here with Henry and then we'll go to um, Jen because Owen's already read for us. Henry, if you look up for us Hebrews 9, 22 Jen, Acts 20, 28 Um, Chase, John 3, 18 and 3, 36 and then Travis, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And just read these when, when I call on you. Now, we're going to talk about the orthodox view of these verses and, and liberals. We're going to pick on liberals today. How does that sound? Because this is one of the verses that really rubs them the wrong way and you are going to run into this kind of stuff. Like I said, they do not like the idea of a wrathful God and they do not like the fact they and they call us people of, of a bloody religion. We have a bloody religion. Peter says here that it is precious blood. It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You were not ransomed or redeemed by silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, that is of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let's have Hebrews 9.22 read. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It doesn't get any plainer than that. There has to be bloodshed. Almost everything is purified by blood. What's not purified by blood? I'm talking about the cultic Hebrew setting of the tabernacle, temple, and stuff like that. I was going to say leprosy. Which is purified by blood. It's a declaration. Okay. Also, well, you know, this, you probably never thought about it, but the table and the showbread didn't have to be sprinkled with blood. But other than that, it's about everything else was. But without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. Let's have Acts 20, 28 read. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. All right. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. God purchased it with his own blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. So the Orthodox Christian religion understands that blood has to be shed for forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, we all know, as it says here, that it's the precious blood of Christ. Christ poured out his blood unto death. And it is precious. And I don't know how much any of you have thought about how precious it is. I probably haven't done my fair share. But let's look back at Leviticus 1. I'm spending some time on this because I think it's so important. Because of what of all the garbage you're going to hear about Christianity being a bloody religion and that one person can't die for another person and things of that sort. Verse 1, Leviticus 1, 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If this offering is a burnt offering, now the burnt offering was wholly burned up. It's the first offering made. Um, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish, just as we just read about Jesus. He was without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. Now, most Hebrews in this time, a bull was, that was a big part of their assets. They were basically poor. And that, and that bull may have been a pet. You know, you keep an animal around, you 
kind of grow to love him. So he would have to bring that bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting and slit its throat. The offerer had to kill the bull. And then it says, Aaron's sons and his priests shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Very bloody religion, right? Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. So not only would you bring your bull, you would slit its throat, you would skin it, and you would chop it up. And then the priest would place it on the fire to be totally burned up. God was teaching them about the precious blood of Jesus. Sin comes with a cost. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And God purchased his church with his own blood. <clears throat> Let's have John 3.18 read. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, when somebody doesn't believe in the Son, when somebody rejects the Son of God, that is serious. God sheds the precious blood of His Son so that anyone can believe in Him and have everlasting life. Of course, none will apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, the idea here is that anyone who rejects the Son as the NIV says, stands condemned already. With the verb tense there, I think that's a good translation. Now, in a courtroom, when the verdict is read, the people are normally told to stand up for the verdict. <clears throat> so the idea here is, you stand up, you receive your condemnation. You reject the precious blood of Christ, you stand up, and you are condemned. Because it is precious blood. And then John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Be assured, if one rejects, if one is outside of Christ and rejects God's gift, you reject God's gift. Thanks, but no thanks. The wrath of God abides on that person. He stands condemned and God's wrath abides on him. So we need to realize that yes, we do have a bloody religion because that's what God commands in his word. That you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has shed his precious blood and the only way to get out from underneath God's wrath is to believe in his son. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I think it's an important point to say that the priests were not doing, were not sacrificing these animals. It was the the one that came, that brought the bull, mm -hmm. the one that brought the offering, and the priest arranged the pieces of, mm -hmm. and, and did the fire. Yeah. But you had to kill your own animals. Right your own little pet how precious yeah. that blood is that's what God is teaching yeah. 
Um, Good point. I don't know if this would ever be confusing to anybody, but since you're using the phrase liberal versus orthodox, uh, it may be helpful to know that the second largest branch of the Christian faith, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have a very different view of this than Reformed and even Roman Catholics. Uh, I saw a guy who I know who was a fairly recent convert to the Greek Orthodox Church, and he posted something on Facebook about how all these other churches are into this blood and guilt and all this sort of thing, but the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's the love of God that's the most important thing. Um, that church as a whole never signed on with Paul's teachings, especially as interpreted by Augustine. So in their view, their idea of original sin is not that we inherit any guilt from Adam, but we only inherit mortality. So uh, the consequences of Adam's sin for us is that we all die physically. Other than that, we're not culpable in any way for, for anything he did. So there's no federal headship in their view. So uh, they aren't liberal like we would thought, think of liberal, but they definitely deny some of uh, the Reformed Protestant understanding of what yeah. Paul and Peter are saying. Okay. Well, I think there's, it's not connected with Charles, but I think there might be a, a slight interesting, I don't know, corollary to this or something that maybe affected the modern mind is that, you know, in times past, if you raise livestock, which most people had to do, you had to, you saw a cycle of life and death. You know, you, you cared for your animals, but you also had to kill them. You were used to that whole blood type thing, but now most people go to the grocery store. You know, I mean, so they're separated from that cycle of something has to die to give you life. And so they think that they can just kind of be separated from that, that, you know. Yeah. Okay. That, so I, I wonder if that plays into a small thing like, ooh, that's that bloody medieval religion kind of thing. You know, like Probably it's, so. It's part of how we separated that. Yeah, killing is not part of our normal day-to-day -day living anymore because we don't have that agricultural uh, social life. And another little twist is that, you know, God told Adam and Eve that if they sinned, they would not surely die. And he had every right to kill him on the spot. There would have been none of us. But because life is in the blood, as the Bible tells us, we are able to have a first Adam, a second Adam, different representatives. We now have life. We have the hope of eternal life itself and eternal life afterwards because of a blood sacrifice. So just like in the Ten Commandments, you have a positive side and a negative side. Yeah, blood is gory. We're a lot more gory than blood in our unregenerate state. Yeah, good point. Okay, um, is liberalism Christianity? Is that a branch of Christianity? No. Who said no? According to who? Dr. J. Gresson Major. Yeah. All right, yeah. According to the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, according to the Bible. And now, this is the book that he was talking about. name of it is Christianity and Liberalism by Machen. And notice it's not uh, liberal Christianity. It's Christianity and Liberalism. 
the whole book, he hammers home that liberalism is a total different religion. And I agree with him. And he, he takes it point by point. And like the names of the chapters here, he shows the difference between the true religion, Orthodox Christianity, and that of what the liberals bring forth. This was what made 1920, printed in 1920, something like that. Um, it's got doctrine, God and man, the Bible, Christ, salvation, and the church. And he shows that liberalism and Christianity have nothing in common in any of these. That's two different religions. And to see the way this works out, I wanted to read something here about how this affects missions. Um, the liberals, liberals basically deny that doctrine, doctrine is not important. It's all ethics. It's all ethics. Uh, that's one of the things. Machen says only, and here emerges the enormous difference of opinion. The Christian man believes that there can be no applied Christianity unless there be a Christianity to apply. Now that's exactly what Peter's been doing here. He's talking about doctrine and Christianity. Here's what they believe. And then he says, okay, we're going to apply this. So the Christian man, not the liberal, the Christian man believes that there can be no applied Christianity unless there is a Christianity to apply. You're going to run into people that will say that's bloody religion. We don't need that. <clears throat> that is where the Christian man differs from the modern liberal. The liberal believes that applied Christianity is all there is of Christianity. Christianity being merely, merely a way of life, the Christian man believes that applied Christianity is the result of an initial act of God. It's an immediate act. It's an immediate act of God. It's a result of the initial act of God. Thus, there is an enormous difference between the modern liberal and the Christian man with reference to human institutions and so forth. And then he goes on down here and he says the Christian mission, mission <clears throat> excuse me, the missionary of liberalism seeks to spread the blessings of Christian civilization, whatever that may be and is not particularly interested in leading individuals to relinquish their pagan beliefs. The Christian missionary, on the other hand, regards satisfaction with a mere influence of Christian civilization as a hindrance rather than a help. His chief business, he believes, is in the saving of souls, and souls are saved not by the mere ethical principles of Jesus, but by his redemptive work. The Christian missionary, in other words, and the Christian worker at home, that would be us, as well as abroad, unlike the apostle of liberalism, says to all men everywhere, human goodness will avail nothing for the lost souls. Ye must be born again. So Machen, all throughout here, points out the difference between Christianity and liberalism. And... And Voss comes out with stuff too, uh, backing up what Machen says. And they are two different religions. If a person goes to a liberal church and he believes what his church teaches, 
It's a different religion. It's idolatry. So we need to make sure that we stand on the Word of God. And we're not ashamed to say that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God is not ashamed to offer up His Son as a sacrifice for wretched sinners like us. Okay, any other comments on that? Yeah, I think that that kind of liberalism that Mitch is talking about there is pretty easy to identify and pretty easy to define and we deny basic tenets of the Christian faith. Nowadays, we've got a liberalism that's a lot more subtle that's taking taking assault on the church through various social aspects, racial, race relations, things like that, and it's really, no, it's still liberalism, and you need to identify it as that, but um, it's, it's like I said, it's a lot more tricky for a lot of people, it's even historically conservative people now begin to not realize that they're delving into liberalism, a different religion altogether. A lot more sophisticated than it used to be. Yeah, I'd give you an example of, of that. Something would be uh, Mother Teresa, who's who's a saint of the Roman Church. She refused to evangelize any of the people that she fed. She wouldn't tell them about Jesus. She would feed them. And, you know, that's a little subtle because people think, oh, look at all, all the good things that she did, you know. I don't think I'm going to see her in heaven, actually. We need to be concerned about people's souls. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the wrath of God that abides on them. And that if they would just believe in Him, repent of their sins and believe in Him, they could get out from under God's wrath. There is a solution. Only Christians have the truth. Anybody else that goes in there and tries to help them, they don't have the truth. We've been entrusted with the truth by God. All right, anything else? Okay, back to your notes. We have a notice that they were ransomed from their feudal ways or their aimless conduct, according to New King James, aimless conduct. They have changed. There's a change in the way they live when they become Christians. They no longer let their passions control them, as we saw in verse 14. And now that they've been born again and have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them, they can change. They can change from the inside out. If you're not a Christian, you might change your outward behavior, but you're not going to change. Let's have 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have y'all's notes run out? No. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, um, 
they have been ransomed from their feudal ways. And according to verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, they says, you were like this. Um, do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral or adulterers, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers who inherit the kingdom of God. And it says, and such were some of you. Now notice this says that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things have to be sin. Sickness doesn't keep you out of heaven. Sin keeps you out of heaven. So these things that our culture now says is normal, like homosexuality and adultery and um, drunkards, swindlers, these, this is sin. This has to be sin because that keeps you out of heaven. It's interesting that Travis's version um, lists verbal, verbally abusive persons. I see in some of these um, Christian moms groups that I'm in, women being advised to divorce their husbands for being verbally abusive. I'm not sure how it's worded in other... Yeah. I, I don't know what the Greek word. I mean, I have the Greek. I don't know what the Greek word is behind that. But basically, if you are being disobedient to what the Bible tells you to be, it's sin. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, such were some of you. That means they're no longer that. The bad news is that that stuff is sin. The good news is that you can change. If you're a Christian, you can change. You can be forgiven because it says you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where these people are that are sexually immoral and have other real bad problems. They're under the wrath of God. But they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they can change. They can come out of that. Um, they can come out of that lifestyle. So that's, that's bad news if you're not going to repent. It's good news for those who have repented. Is that the end of your notes or do y'all still have the blood? Okay. The blood, the death of Christ is what redeems them. They have been redeemed for their former slavery of sin. From their slavery to sin. They now belong to Christ. The penalty has been paid. Christ is a Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. According to John 1, 29. So the blood or death of Jesus Christ is what redeems them. All right, we will stop there at the end of verse 19. Anybody have anything to add? There was one thing. Uh, when the uh, bull was brought, uh, who would determine if it was actually fit? Would it be the priest? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> The, the priest would inspect it, and if it had a blemish, 
would be responsible for all of the decisions around the tabernacle sacrifices, things of that nature. The priest was supposed to do that and the priest was supposed to teach the people. He should be telling them when they bring the bull. You understand that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness, things of that sort. Bud, will you close this, please? Okay. I have a